Thank you so much, Deacon Susan, for leading us in Anita and our musicians, and we serve God by serving one another. We come this week to a summary of First Peter that we have, by God's grace, been reading, learning, and we pray increasingly obeying. As you come to a summary, you might expect uh, over the five chapters, there'll be a lot of references to Bible passages. So some of the Bible passages will be fleshed up for us to take a look at together. Some you may be scrolling with me as I read for you in the message. And so, heavenly citizenship, earthly mission, ministry. I do not know in this pandemic what has been inspirational for you. Who has inspired you? What has inspired you in your life? But I would think that a good number of us would have been inspired by what? A good number of us would have been inspired by the recent Olympics and now the current Paralympics. And so one of the early games that I watched in the Olympics was badminton, having come from Malaysia. And I really wanted to watch the number one seed or the favourite to win, Kento Momota. And out of the 170 plus players, I was eyeing up for him, looking out for him. But one day just clicking and watching a, a summary of that. I caught a game and the player was unknown. His name was Aram Mahmud. And then I went to find out. He started playing when he was seven. He played his heart out. He is a Syrian, a Syrian refugee. And so he belonged to a team called the Syrian Olymp uh, the Refugee Olympic Team Committee. And then what does that mean? That means for Aram and all who belong to this committee, the Refugee Olympic Committee team, no, there's no country they belong to. There is no country they represent. There is uh, no flag to symbolize who they belong to, their identity, their nationality. There is no national anthem if they won a medal. There was no one to cheer him on in the games, virtually, of course, because it was held that way with no, no one watching the games in, on site. There was no one to welcome him home if he won a medal. And there was no younger generation to inspire in that particular sport that the sportsmen took part, sports persons took part in. So think about that. When we are stateless, when we are homeless, when we are citizens of nowhere, unwanted and kicked out, it feels like that for us. Feels like what? For us. It feels like I belong to nowhere. I am nobody, I am a nobody feeling, and I exist for no one, and no one exists for me. You feel dislocated geographically, you feel displaced personally and relationally, and if those things start to get into you mentally, it starts to mess up with your mind and mess up with your heart, it steamrolls and cascades into what? It steamrolls and cascades into self-doubt of yourself of your identity, of your worth, of your purpose, of who I am. And so I remember the story of a young boy that I read about, I think, in America. And um, a boy who said this, I never had parents. I never had family. I've never been loved. Please adopt me. I promise to be worth it. 
please adopt me. I promise to be worth it. Worth your risk. Worth, worth your love. And as you listen to him, you can almost feel the pangs, the anguish, the desperation. So when you think of the refugees who took part, whether you think of the refugees who took part in the Olympics, or whether you think of a boy or girl asking to be adopted, there is nothing more painful, there is nothing more miserable than what? Than the miserable experience of being ex exiled, stateless, homeless, loveless. And if you ever find yourself in that position in life, in that season in life, in that status or status in life, you are a stranger to everybody, you are loved by nobody. A stranger to everybody, loved by nobody. I think if you have any sense of morality or humanity in your heart, you would feel the cries, the pang, the anguish, the desperation. The Apostle Peter writes to believers in God, the true and living God. And who are believers of the true and the living God? They are followers of Jesus Christ because the true and living God has revealed Himself in the last days in the person and the work, in the finished mission of Jesus Christ. And this is how this epistle begins. Peter, who is he? What is his identity? An apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect and God's elected people, they are exiles scattered throughout the whole world. And the whole world then were the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And so the apostle Peter writes to do what? He writes to enlighten and then to encourage them of their dual status, of their dual citizenship as it were. From a human perspective, they were regarded and treated increasingly as believers in God and followers of Jesus. They were treated as stateless. They don't belong to the Roman Empire. They are outcasts, they are marginalised. But from God's perspective, they are precious citizens of God's kingdom. And how did they become citizens of God's kingdom? How do we know they are precious in God's eyes? I deliberately stopped here at verse 1. Because in verse 2, it goes on to say this. Verse 2. Who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. For what purpose? Chosen by the Father, sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and to sprinkle with His blood. And only then, as you are invited to take part in God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, can we experience true grace and peace? It's not the fickle grace and peace of this world. And each of those terms need a little bit of explanation. Chosen is not simply the prior knowledge of God. This is the prior choice of God. That God chose you. Have you ever not been chosen for something? Maybe you've not been chosen for the choir in school. Maybe you've not been chosen for the dance team in school. Maybe you've not been chosen for the chess team. Maybe you've not been chosen for a sport in school. Guess what? As part of observation of life and pastoring work, some people never recover from not being chosen. 
It has traumatized them all their life. I didn't make it to the choir. I didn't make it to, to the chess team. My IQ is so low, but I'm quite brilliant, actually. That's not me. I'm just saying generally. The moment you are not chosen, you feel inferior. You feel insecure. So this is not simply the prior knowledge of God. It is there, but it's the prior choice of God. You are you are now rejected by the world, but please be assured, God chose you before the foundations of the earth. Sanctifying work of the Spirit. The word sanctifying is made holy, made holy. God, through His Spirit, is continuing to make you holy. Not just chosen to be holy, but being made holy. Positional holiness and progressive holiness as you are chosen by God. And what is this? To be obedient to Jesus Christ. Whatever you do not know about God's choosing of us and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit is for us to be made obedient to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. This is the message of atonement, the message of salvation, the message of being transferred from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of God. From citizens of this world who are enemies of God to being children of God and citizens of God. And so in summary, in just verse 2, Peter's message, just in the first two verses, this is all that God has been doing from eternity past. And all that Jesus has done 2,000 years on the cross, perfectly in faith and obedience to His heavenly Father. And this is all that the Spirit of God is doing. And so salvation, friends, is past, present and future. And just in case you missed it, Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ and he's doing all this and the first thing he's proclaiming, God has done all this to save Anita, to save Susan, to save Chris. I'm going to name all the musicians here so you know who they are. And you just have to name yourself. You call yourself a believer. You call yourself a Christian. You mean the whole Godhead, three persons of God, got involved in my life. That shows how precious you and I are to God. And so, you know, there's a picture of uh, Michael Brown in America. And he was in foster care. And finally, he got adopted. And two attempts to adopt him failed. Families failed to love him enough. And then adopted today, you can't see on the board that he has there, he got a picture taken immediately after the court case was pronounced that he was now adopted by this family. Adopted today, some things are worth the wait. 832 days in foster care, more than two years. And so, if being adopted by earthly parents is great, and it is great for a child without parents, then being adopted by God is beyond great. And what is beyond great? What word could, could summarize beyond great? I guess the word awesome, being adopted by God, being saved by God, being included in His kingdom is awesome. That, that's the right place to use the word awesome. It's proper, it's suitable. Being adopted by God, being saved by Christ, being sanctified by the Spirit is awesome. It's not awesome when you have Chakwe Teow. 
It's not awesome when you eat bachomi. It's not awesome when you eat satay. It's not awesome when you have pizza. It's not awesome when you have sashimi. It's not awesome when you have Korean barbecue. Temporarily, it is awesome. But truly and divinely, it is not awesome. The only thing that is awesome, that is greater than great, is God who is holy would want to have anything to do with you and me. A hardened, proud sinner. Why should God bother with you? Why should God bother with me? Then He should choose me before the foundations of the earth. Then He should give His Son, who came in faith and utter obedience to the Father, and still continue this work by the Holy Spirit, and once we get that, we get to the heart of this epistle. It has a very important message to send for us, to us. And so, Michael, his sister, also adopted by the family, Daziana, 17-year-old, said this, he was so excited on that day, right? I don't think he truly understood what being adopted meant. He just knew he was being adopted. Now ponder that statement for a moment. You may know something, but you may not know what it means. I got into university. What does it mean? A lot of hard work. I, I got employed by this company. What does it mean? In, in China now, they're debating 997, 996 actually. And the curse, as it were, of 996, you work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., in many of the tech companies, and you work six days a week. And part of the clampdown by the Chinese government is too, many, too much profits have been made by these tech companies at the expense of the mental well-being and the social well-being of Chinese folk, 996. And so you may not know something, the meaning of it, the full weight of it, until it happens. I guess you could turn this around to what we call a biblical truth, a gospel truth. And what's our gospel truth? Or what's our unsorted problem if you think yourself a Christian, if you presume yourself a Christian? We just know we are saved. We just know we are adopted by God, saved by God. But we don't really know what it means to be saved. That's the problem for many of us. Personally, that's true. And collectively, the Church of Jesus Christ, from the church in the West to the church in the East, have no idea, little or no idea, what it means to be so loved by God, to be so saved by Christ, to be so sanctified by the Spirit of God, and to be so used by God even now, filled and flawed, fickle and feeble though we are, as the Church of Jesus Christ. So First Peter will teach us what? First Peter will teach us this, an overarching message from chapter 1 to chapter 5. So whether you read a book, whether you watch a movie, what is it you need to do? Whether you read a book, whether you watch a movie, whether you watch a TV series, right? you always want to know how it begins and how it ends. So I showed you how it began. Now I'm going to show you how it ends. You remember from last week, you've been following the series. It ends with Peter saying this, Be alert, 
be of silver mine. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. How? Stand firm in your faith. Don't move from that. You started with that. You carry on with that. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And so the message from beginning, did you notice it began with the three persons of God involved in the world, involved in saving the church of Jesus Christ so that the church of Jesus Christ can be a witness to the world? And the epistle ends with what? A warning about God's arch enemy. And so when you tie the beginning and the ending together, the overarching message of 1 Peter is this, that God purifies our faith to assure us of what it means to belong to Jesus. But Satan exists to terrify us out of that faith that there is no use carrying on with believing in Jesus as our Saviour and our Lord. And you need to understand that moment by moment as you live, day by day as you live, week by week as you live, year by year as you live, that is the titanic warfare that happens. That God is always calling you, purifying your faith to assure you of all He has accomplished in Christ. But Satan is terrifying you to scare you out of that faith. And so stated in other ways, how, what should we know as God's citizens living as exiles on this earth? What should we know as God's citizens living ex exiles temporarily on this earth. We should know a few things. And the few things that First Peter will throw up at us is, please be increasingly assured of your heavenly citizenship. I want to ask you, as we now live in 2021, the second year of this pandemic globally, experienced personally, have you grown to be more confident of your heavenly citizenship or have you grown to be more insecure about your heavenly citizenship? That's not an unimportant question. And the next thing is, you got your call to love one another as God's people. You're called to fulfill God's mission as God's witnesses. You're called to resist the devil in all his temptations and all the time looking to Jesus as Lord. And Jesus is Lord over all the unjust suffering we will face en route from earth to our true home in heaven. And so stated in different ways by Peter, your beloved children of God, please don't live like unloved delinquents. You are secure citizens of God's kingdom. Please don't live like insecure, stateless people. You're part of God's holy temple. Why on earth do you want to revert back to idolatry and immorality? Why on earth do you want to do that? When God has given you everything by giving you Christ. So what, does it, what did it mean for them as the original audience? And what does it mean for us now in the 21st century? The whole message is about, as we said, God purifying us to be built up and secure in our faith, in our obedience. I'm just going to rattle off here a few verses that will show you this purification thing. 
this purification doctrine and reality in our lives. And so it says here in one, in one, uh, sorry, next one. Let me go backwards. Those who have, this have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's speaking about the trials that they will suffer. And the trials are God-sent. Trials are God-sent? I mean, a boyfriend or girlfriend is God-sent. A job is God-sent. A promotion is God-sent. Making money is God-sent. How can suffering be God-sent? Suffering is God-sent. Chapter 1, verse 5, 6, 7. And this is to prove the genuineness of your faith. And how is this faith spoken about? Is of greater worth than gold. Gold is the measure of security in our world in any century from the first to now. And then it goes on. Verse 18. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Second time he's going to use this that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. And then, 4.17, For it's time for judgment to begin where? Oh, God must come and judge the whole world. It's a turnaround that you never expected. That Peter would write, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Old Testament passage is Ezekiel chapter 6, Malachi chapter 3, it's about the exile experience of God's people, Israel. When they worshipped the true and living God, they were too timing with idols. For it's time for judgment not to begin with the world, but time for judgment to begin with God's people. You add this all together, right? And what does it tell you? It all tells you about the language of purification. That God purifies His people, purifies our faith because our faith in Christ Jesus our obedience to Christ Jesus, and as Deacon Susan prayed, whatever life throws at us, we choose Jesus. And life has thrown us the pandemic, we choose Jesus. Life has thrown us joblessness, I choose Jesus. Life has thrown us sickness, I choose Jesus. Life has thrown us unjust suffering, we choose Jesus. Life has thrown us persecution, we choose Jesus. There is a purpose to this. And what does it say here? It says in chapter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Have you ever loved an invisible person? We love visible people. And some of us are more in love with Korean stars, like Korean actors and actresses, in the love dramas, more than we love our husbands or our wives. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. When you go back and reconstruct the situation they were in, right? this is God's call. And what is God's call? God's call is this. Purifying us, He calls them to a few things. Be holy, chapter 1, verse 15. Be loving towards each other. Love each other with a sincere love because you've been born again by the living and enduring Word of God. And now you'll be worshippers. 
As you come to believe in Jesus, the cornerstone, He is the living stone, singular. And you in believing in Him now become the living stones, plural. And you're being built up in God's temple. God's temple is no longer a building. It's the people of God, Jews and Gentiles, brought together under Christ. And then you are a witness because of this. And you'll be submissive. Be submissive to all God-given authorities. Be submissive even to harsh masters. Be submissive even if your husband is not a believer in Christ Jesus. You married him, you became a believer first. And then he hasn't believed. And marriage is tough. And from chapter 3, verse 8 to 419, a huge portion, be willing to suffer as your master suffered unjust suffering. And in all of this, keep looking to Jesus. But Satan will keep telling us the opposite. He will keep terrifying us with suffering. And he says, of being, instead of being holy, be evil. Why don't you go back to being pagans and just drown in the dissipation of idolatry and immorality? Be unloving, be malicious, be deceitful. Be hypocritical towards each other. Be envious, be slanderous towards each other. Chapter 2, verse 1. Be idolatrous. Be rebellious. Why do you have to be submissive when you face unjust masters and an unholy husband? And be, why suffer? Just seek pleasure. Keep looking to self. And there is a choice, friends. The choice is you keep looking to Jesus or you keep looking to self and self-preservation by self-rescue. The Christians in 1 Peter, what were they facing? Chapter 3, verse 9, they were insulted. Chapter 3, verse 16, they were slandered. Chapter 4, verse 4, they were maligned. Chapter 4, verse 15, they accused. All this thing is verbal barrage. I want to ask you, if you know anything of the Bible and anything of the Bible's teaching, God's teaching through His Word, about Satan. What are the various titles given to him, to the devil? One main title given to the devil is accuser. And because the devil is accuser, little wonder that one way he wears down the church of Jesus Christ, he wears you down as a follower of Jesus, is insult, slander, malignment, maligning, accusations. If day by day you feel accused, you really need rescue. You, by who? There's only one person who can rescue you, and more about that later. And so those were the triggers, day by day for their children in the playgrounds in the school, day by day as they ran their businesses, went to work in their workplaces. And so if you face prolonged suffering in this way, the verbal assault, the mental strain, you are tempted to do a few things. Retaliate. Give it back to them. Or apostatize. Just give up. Actually, he spoke about apostatize much earlier in chapter 1. So why do you carry on with this? Just go back. You know, why be holy? Just go back and be pagan or be compromisers or be idolaters again. Much better, much less suffering. So we got to beware of what? The call is to be holy. 
we've got to beware of slow and subtle apostasy. And slow and subtle apostasy is slowly through your suffering, you suffer, right? If you're suffering, look here. If you're suffering, you look down. You don't look up. You don't look around. Because you're suffering. Any pain that comes to you, you look in. You look in to do a few things. Firstly, to avoid that pain. Secondly, to lessen that pain. Thirdly, to end that pain. In our fallen human nature, we do all three things really well. Avoid pain, lessen pain, and end pain as soon as we can. But you know what? In 1 Peter, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, Christ is mentioned 18 times if the counting is not wrong. To Him or pronouns of Him. And so there are two ways to look when you and me live as exiles. You either keep looking to Him for your heavenly citizenship or you keep looking to yourself how much you're suffering. And so, there was an Olympics commercial, or in between what we were watching live, the commercials came on, and this one uh, struck me. And it went along these lines, if I didn't get the wording wrong. Right? Impatience is a virtue. When you know what you want, waiting is not an option. That's the message of this world, you know? Patience is a vice. Impatience is a virtue. When you know what you want, waiting is not an option. I would highly suggest that biblically, Christianly, and spiritually for us, gospelly for us, we discern the messaging of this world. Because you know what? You and me left to ourselves, you have no idea, Andrew, what you want. You have no idea what you want, Anna. You have no idea what you want, Jason. At one time you wanted this, and another time you really have no idea. When you were a teenager, you really wanted to go to that party. And over that party, you had a huge fight with your father and mother. You re- the, the party was a game changer between your dad and mum. You really wanted that friend. When you were younger, you really wanted that game. You really wanted that phone, even now. And getting that phone or getting that game or getting that boyfriend or girlfriend means the life. I'm willing to break relationship with my father and mother over this. I really want it. Two months later, boyfriend left you. Then next boyfriend came along. Do you really know what you want? And then this job, die, die, I must have. If I have this job, I made it. This is my iron rice bowl. This is where I arrive at the top of the food chain. This is the posting I need. And maybe in Christian circles, this is the ministry I really want. When I get this ministry, when I get this title as deacon or pastor or elder, whatever it is, then I'll be truly satisfied. The possessions we really want, the people we really want, the positions we really want, they become consuming passions. And whenever you and me me want things, very fickle, we are willing Oh, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? So says who? So says Jesus, our Saviour and our Lord. Still on the Olympics. Did you not notice this? 
in terms of the medal winners, who were the happiest people and who was the most miserable? The silver medalists were always so, so sad because they missed out on the gold. The bronze medalists, did you notice, are so, so happy because they got a medal. <laughs> Any medal would have done. And we're dying. We came back, right? All our athletes without a single medal. And that's nothing to put down in terms of, of our athletes. A lot of hard work. The competition is so high, right? And so we as Christians, are we silver medalists? Are we bronze medalists? We are really gold medalists. We've got Christ. We've got salvation. We have an inheritance that can never spoil or fade or perish. We have, but sometimes in life, we behave as if we are silver medalists. We don't behave as if we are bronze medalists. Not even bronze medalists. There's something bigger than Christ that I'm looking for that will complete the jigsaw puzzle of happiness in my life. There is no such possession. There is no such person. There is no such position that will make you eternally, exuberantly happy, friends. Please don't kid yourself. So are you a silver medalist? Why are you so, so sad? Why are you so, so angry? Why are you so bitter, bitter, bitter? Why are you so malicious? At work, in marriage, and maybe even in church, Maybe you were gunning for a position. Maybe you were gunning for something that means more than Jesus. And being forgiven of sin. And being given every blessing as a child and a citizen, a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Beware, my friends, of slow and subtle and sophisticated idolatry creeping up on us. So that's when we lose sight of Christ. When He's no longer... No, Jesus doesn't strike you first thing in the morning. Jesus doesn't strike you. His name doesn't come to your mind, your heart in the afternoon, at night when you lay down your head. Then beware when you start to lose sight of the end. I said, when we started, you don't read a book without knowing its ending. You don't watch a movie without knowing its ending. You don't start a relationship with wanting to bring it to some completion. You don't embark your studies only to give up halfway. You don't begin a job only... See, we live life, the very nature of our God-given... of God. The very nature of our God-given life. The very nature of the gospel fulfilled in Jesus is what? It's all about ending. We live for endings. God wired us from creation to redemption for endings. There is goodness in persevering to the end. And this appearing of Jesus, appearing of Jesus, appearing of Jesus appears many times in 1 Peter. And that's what he wants to say. As you now suffer temporarily, please don't take your spiritual eyes off your Lord and of the ending he's going to come and give you. But Satan will tempt you to live only for fake 
beginnings. This marriage is not bringing me happiness. Let's end it. Let's start afresh. This thing is not bringing me joy. Let's end it. Let's start afresh. We call that fake beginnings. Whereas the gospel always calls you, right? It's all about you live for the ending. And how do you live for the ending? You keep your eyes on Jesus and all that He has promises that you've begun to enjoy even now, that salvation has a present enjoyment even now. Right? But you also keep your eye on the end. But sometimes we have to be reminded of our mortality to absorb and embrace and appreciate the beauty of Jesus coming again. And so we heard Right? You have heard as the Church of Jesus Christ here in ARPC, Pastor Jeff suffered a heart attack last week. By the grace of God, a stent was done for him, a balloon was done for him. And then they put in a defibrillator, just in case his heart stops, that kicks it back to, to life again, and a pacemaker. And Jeff and me go back a long way. He said to me, when your life just passes in front of you, and you're just a one heartbeat away from either living or dying, you start to see what's really precious. And what's really precious, better hold my wife's hand. Nah. <laughs> and because he was stuck in ICU, the children couldn't come and see him. And when his three daughters finally were given permission to go and see him, tears, there's tears all around. We could have lost you, Dad. Could have lost you. Could have lost you without saying goodbye to you. That's when you... It's all very clear, friends. When you lose sight of the ending, you lose sight of what's precious. When you self-invent your new beginnings just because you have some suffering in your life, that's you falling into Satan's trap that you can begin to find joy and purpose. You can begin to feel secure without Jesus Christ and the promise of heavenly citizenship. Our earthly mission and duty is to give people ultimate security in Christ Jesus. So that's very important for us to know. What else does God call us to? He calls us not simply to be holy, he calls us to be loving. And all the passages about loving, see, please understand, God calls us to be loving when we are insulted. God calls us to be loving when we are slandered. God calls us to be loving when we are maligned. God calls me to be loving when I'm increasingly accused by a hostile world that's out there. Everything within me screams and shouts, hit back, I'll give up, apostatize or retaliate. But look at this verse. I hope I have it here. If not, I'll go back. Though you have seen him, you have, you have not seen him, sorry. You love him and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He goes on in chapter 4 to say what? He goes on to chapter 4 to say, Since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. What does he mean by that? How do we face suffering? How do we face hatred and unlove from a hostile world towards God and hostile towards Jesus? 
our highest motivation, friends, as believers and followers of Jesus, is not the avoidance of suffering, as we said earlier, is not the lessening of suffering, is not the ending of suffering. Our highest motivation and desire, you must pray more and more as you wake up each day. What's my highest desire today? My highest desire today is to obey God and to do His will. And if His will includes temporal suffering, so be it. And this is what it means. So though I suffer unjustly because I believe in Jesus, sin no longer controls my response. So when you suffer, most likely you're tempted to sin. Sin controls your response to suffering. Sin no longer dictates, controls us. If you look to Jesus, Christ controls us. In that sense, that's what it means. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. doesn't mean we're sinless. That the equation for us previously, left to my flesh, suffer our sin. But now suffer, I will look to Christ. I do not sin. I respond with the same mindset and attitude of Christ. So I was preaching in Kenya at the conference. And um, this organization in, in America, a Christian organization, gave whole boxes of resources. This was before the internet and things couldn't be put on a thumb drive yet. And so they came for the conference. And if they sat through two, three days of the conference, just teaching them, me teaching them how to preach Christ-centered sermons, three days, lecture upon lecture, morning, afternoon, night. If they completed that, they'll be given this box of resources. Bible dictionaries, Bible concordance, commentaries, different things for themselves and for their churches. They came by the hundreds. Yeah, I spoke to many of them, encouraged by many of them. I spoke to a man. He was not Kenyan. He ran away from, his, from Congo. And Congo was undergoing civil war. In that civil war, he lost his entire family, an extended family. If my memory is right, 16, 17 people died. Then through that conversation, he became converted. He ran away from Congo. He was a Christian. He came to Kenya. He heard the gospel. Became a Christian. Became so Christian that he wants to go back to the very country, Congo, to do what? To share the gospel. Maybe have conferences. Then he asked me, will you come? I've shared this before. So I said, I'll, I'll think about it. Congo in civil war run by warlords, will you come? I had to come back to Mona and say, should I go? She said, you should go. What was the response of this man? He had made a clean break with suffering. That sin will no longer control his response to unjust suffering. He lost 16, 17 members of his own family, his father, his mother, his brothers and sisters, his uncles, his aunties, but he was going to go back with the love of Jesus. That's what it means. I make a clean break with sin and it got you suffering to teach me that. If not for suffering, I would never have broken that link. And so, this is for us. That takes us, there are many more things to say and next week we'll probably carry on with this. God's unchanging church in a changing world. So what are the lessons how does this end? 
It ends here. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will Himself restore you, make you strong, firm and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. I wonder whether you have missed between chapter 1 verse 8 and chapter 5 verse 10. Let me show that to you again. If you carry on loving Jesus by the grace of God filled with the Spirit, guess what? You are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. You're receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He speaks of inexpressible and glorious joy. And then you can speak about this again in ending. He will, after you suffer a little while, He will make you strong and firm and steadfast. You will join with Him and share no longer internal suffering, but internal glory. There is nothing more miserable than being stateless, homeless, loveless. Feels like I'm a stranger to everyone and no one loves me. But there is nothing more beautiful than the sheer joy, the incomparable joy of being loved by God, saved by God, included by God, though temporarily we may feel we are separated from Him here on earth. It's that heavenly citizenship secured and kept safe by the Holy Spirit that we must keep on remembering. Remember Michael Brown, the three-year-old boy, and what his 17-year-old adopted sister treated? He knows that he was adopted, but he didn't know what it meant to be adopted. She further tweeted, and what did she tweet? Now, when he first came, she said, he was shy, he was uncertain because he's been adopted before and it failed. And then now I quote, Now he sleeps with me, three-old Michael. He'll roll over in the morning and get super close to my face and say to his sister, Desiana, Day, I'm so happy. I'm so happy. He's come home. He's come home to be loved. And we pray for a long, long time. We have come home to be loved eternally by God the Father, through Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. Why won't you take up that offer? Is any possession, is any person is any position worth the idolatry? Why don't you take up God's offer of heavenly citizenship and be included? We're going to sing a song, a song that carries this, the meaning of First Peter. Jesus is Lord, Lord of everything, and to Him we can turn, and Him we can trust. Listen to this song and make peace with God. Amen. <laughs>